Good morning, good morning, good evening, everybody. I got ahead of myself a little bit. Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church on Facebook and on Zoom. And we're glad that you are here tonight with us. Thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to what God has for us tonight. <clears throat> and so let's just open with a word of prayer. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word, to hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart tonight. <clears throat> and Lord, those that watch this later, let your word impact us and, uh, and draw us closer to you. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God has for us. Uh, I want to, two weeks ago until everything went crazy last week. Two weeks ago, I started a series on the spirits of God or the characteristics or qualities of the Lord. And I took it based off of Matthew chapter 5 and Revelation chapters 2 and 3. <clears throat> There's a parallel that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, he gives us what we classify as the Beatitudes. Um, it's, the, it's one of his first... Uh, lessons or messages to those that are around. And then uh, at the end of the New Testament, through the Apostle John, uh, Jesus begins to talk again to the churches and allows the churches to hear the word of the Lord. And there is a correlation between the two, I believe, that allows us to see uh, not only the spirit of the Lord, but the quality or the characteristics that God wants to express through us. Uh, at Spirit of Grace Church, we like to say that we are spirit-filled, spirit-led, and Christ-like. In order to be Christ-like, you and I need to learn how to manifest the characteristics or the qualities that we find in Jesus and are revealed in Jesus so that we can see and understand and know them. And so that's what the several messages are going to be about here on our Wednesday night online. We were uh, interrupted a little bit last week with all of the events that were circling around us. And thankfully, it's been a little bit more peaceful. Long way to go. A lot of healing to take place. A lot of uh, binding of wounds. A lot of recovery and restoration. But uh, it's at least calmed down a little bit uh, here at least in Minneapolis. And this message, I believe, goes hand in hand with what we have been experiencing and dealing with. Two weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poorness of spirit is the constantly giving out. The way that God was poor in spirit is that everything he did was to give out or empty himself for us. And uh, when we can do that, if 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 everybody really was doing that, we wouldn't have some of the issues that we have in the world today. Uh, unfortunately, we're human and that there's stuff that's there and that we need to work through and discuss and pray about and let God minister through us and to us. So tonight I want to talk about the second beatitude and the second church and uh, how the Lord spoke through both and gave us an understanding of what it means uh, to be mournful. There's been a lot of mourning going on 
And uh, so that's why I think and believe that this message kind of ties together with where we are as a culture, where the Lord has us. I believe in the midst of all of what we have experienced and seen, there is a moving of the Spirit to restore us and regenerate us into an awesome dynamic of the Holy Ghost. And uh, so I want to read from Matthew chapter 5. It's one scripture that we'll read. It's verse number uh, 4. And it just says this. God, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who mourn. Uh, the early church, probably more than any other church in the history of time, understood what true persecution was um, under the emperor Nero. And uh, for instance, tradition tells us that Paul was likely beheaded. Uh, the apostle Peter was crucified, most likely upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified like Christ. If you do any study of history, you'll see in the Roman Colosseum all kinds of atrocities were done to the, the, the Christian church. Um, and, and so they understood what persecution was. They understood what suffering was. And I believe that because they understood that and because they went through some of that, that is what gave, not the only thing, but one of the aspects of what gave power to the church. Um, because, you know, Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.10, Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his, of his sufferings. And uh, we, uh, in order to mourn something, blessed are they that mourn, in order to mourn something, something has to either be lost or afflicted or persecuted or suffered with and, and so we're going to kind of wrap all of those in and i'm going to use the word suffering a lot tonight probably um because suffering is the the precursor to mourning and when you suffer then you mourn and the bible promises us that the mourners would be comforted and uh, but i'm going to probably take it a little bit different than than what you might be used to uh, because I believe that there's a hidden, not a hidden meaning, but a deeper meaning uh, to what God is trying to tell us and that we are experiencing even this day. Uh, I, I do believe that there are, is suffering going on. I believe that people are hurting. I believe that there's a lot of pain that's going on right now. And uh, in the midst of all of that, I believe that God is trying to get some people's attention and call them into a new dynamic of relationship with him and if we would be careful to listen, God is trying to elevate us to express the suffering spirit of God so that God can then come alongside those that are naturally hurting and begin to do a healing process. We have a responsibility, if we're going to be like Christ, to find the spirit or the mind of Christ. And so it's, we like when we talk about being spirit-filled and spirit-led because that's exciting. That's, that is, it's supernatural. We, we get the goosebumps from it. We, we get all, you know, uh, we're excited about it. We know that the miraculous is getting ready to happen. 
But the flip side is, is there's also a fellowship of suffering that when you and I truly experience that, something happens to us because the word comfort there uh, is paraclete in, in, in the scripture that we read. And it means that to come alongside. In other words, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted for they shall have Christ come alongside us. When you mourn in the spirit, if you will, you are inviting Christ to come walk with you hand in hand. And uh, you and I struggle with the spirit of suffering, at least I do. And uh, I would venture to say that a lot of us struggle with the spirit of suffering. And I, I think there's two main reasons that we struggle with this. And, and number one is we don't like to suffer. I don't like to suffer. That It's not exciting. It, it's it's not something that I get excited about. It's not something that, oh, good, I get to suffer today. Okay, none of us really like to suffer. But if we're really going to know him, we need to learn how to suffer because we need to know all the facets of God. See, here's what's happened in the church world, especially, and then has also at times in the secular world, we get so tied to one aspect of understanding. Uh, the whole movement of the prosperity doctrine was to see the health and the wealth of Christ, and that that's what we wanted to have happen in the churches. We wanted to have God move, and, and, and that's exciting, but we didn't want to go to the other side of God. There's a scripture, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It says, behold the goodness and terribleness of God. God is a multifaceted being. He is a multifaceted God. There's, there is a, a good side, and then there is a terrible side. The terrible side isn't uh, a hurt side. He doesn't hurt us. He doesn't, but he, there is a side of him that has suffered and has a suffering spirit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. The other reason that we have to accept some suffering, we don't like to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer, but we have to accept it to a certain extent is because if you and I are going to pass Christ on to another generation, and when I say another generation, I'm not just talking about uh, natural age. I'm talking about from me to somebody that doesn't know him, another generation of believer. If we're going to really pass on the true Christ, we need to recognize the all sides of him. We can't get stuck on one thing. I, uh, I'd love to be able to say that when you come to Jesus, man, everything's easy. That would be fun. That would be easy. That's an easy to, but I, I wrote an article when I was in college. It was a long, long time ago. And, uh, it, and it was a rose by any other name is still a rose, which I didn't come up with. That was Shakespeare. But I took that quote and uh, did God promise us a rose garden? Because there was a mentality, at least back then, that when you came to God, everything was rosy and everything was good and everything was easy. And God made a way where there was no way and all you had to do was hang on for the ride. Well, <clears throat> the problem with that is uh, that's only the surface of a rose garden. 
If you go below the petals, you're going to find some thorns. You're going to find some things that snag you. And I really learned this when I bought a house in Kansas City and we had a rose bush coming up on the side of the house that I did everything in my power to kill and it wouldn't die. Uh, I mean, I mean, literally, I, I poured gas on it and lit a fire to it. I dried everything, and that thing wouldn't go anywhere. And uh, every time I mowed the lawn, those thorns grabbed a hold of me. So uh, I like the beauty of a rose. I like the aroma of a rose, but I don't like the thorns. But a rose is not a rose if there's not some thorns involved with it. And walking with God is not all the beauty and all of the, the petals of the rose and the aroma of his presence Part of walking with God is some thorns. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, there's a thorn in my side all the time, a thorn in my flesh all the time. <clears throat> so we don't like to suffer, and so we try not to talk about suffering. The second reason we don't like to talk about suffering is because somewhere in the recesses of our thinking, we don't or we are not convinced that God possesses a spirit of suffering. Does God suffer? Uh, we like the power and the authority that God has, and we pray for his power and his authority. I, I don't know about you, but I've never actively tried to pray, God, let me suffer. <laughs> it, it's just not in my nature. I mean, call me a wimp or whatever, but I don't like suffering. I don't like pain. I don't like agony. agony. But if I really want to be like him, I have to understand that he knows what it's like to suffer. And I'm not just talking about Calvary. I'm talking about all kinds of things that he has suffered because we have rejected him. He has suffered because we have disobeyed him. He understands the spirit of suffering more than we do. And part of the reason that we don't like to think about suffering or talk about suffering, part of the reason that we don't uh, get excited on the second half of Philippians 3.10 it's easy to get excited about the power of resurrection, but the fellowship of suffering is something totally different. One of the reasons is because you and I tend to have tunnel vision. We don't see beyond the desire that we have for God to use his infinite resource to make us comfortable. You think about it. Every situation we get in, all of the prayer requests that we put in, Pray that this person be healed. Pray that this person be delivered. Pray that this person find uh, peace. Pray that this person finds comfort and safety. All of those things that we pray for generally are praying so that God in all of his infinite resource and wisdom will release something to us so that we can feel a little bit better, so that we can have a little bit more comfort. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and we'll continue to do that. I'll continue to do that every time I'm sick. Lord, just heal me. Lord, protect my family from getting the, 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 the bug that I've got, and all those other things, and those are well and fine. But there is an aspect to suffering that we need to embrace and have fellowship with. And uh, in order to reveal Christ in the way that Christ really is, we have to suffer a little bit. We have to hurt some. And we've experienced that over the last eight to 10 days, uh, experienced some hurt, experienced pain, experienced suffering. And I believe that in the midst of that, the promise, they that mourn will be comforted. I believe that the comforter 
which is the Holy Ghost, has come alongside some people and is trying to help and assist some people into healing. Now, when I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about trying to make yourself miserable for the sake of being miserable. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, um, you know, beating ourselves and, and, and pushing ourselves aside. And, and, but I, what I am saying is we need to hear the call of the spirit of suffering. The spirit of suffering. I'll tell you what that means. The spirit of suffering is simply being will, willfully subjective uh, to, well, let me say it a different way. It, it's, it, it means to willfully subject yourselves to unpleasantness on behalf of somebody else. Uh, it doesn't mean you make yourself miserable, but you take up yourself. Let me give you King James Version. If you're asked to go a mile, go two. Turn the other cheek. Uh, uh, love your enemies as yourself. Those are things that don't make sense to us. It, it, it's, it's something that it, it, I, I don't like when somebody does something to me without me responding. <laughs> uh, I, I remember, you know, we had a young person who will remain nameless, but we had a young person when we were youth pastors and uh, they were really upset because somebody did something and he was on his way to take care of the situation and he would have, uh, but I caught him in the hallway and I just asked him one question. I said, well, what Jesus said, what would Jesus say? And he said, he mumbled and I said, no, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> no, what did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. I said, okay, what are you supposed to do then? Turn the other cheek. And uh, he turned away, but that's not something that's easy to do. And, uh, but that's, that's kind of the mindset is willfully subjecting yourself to unpleasantness on behalf of somebody else. Let me read from Philippians chapter two, because uh, this is a perfect example of, of what Paul is trying to tell us. Now, remember in chapter three that I quoted in verse 10, he talks about the fellowship of suffering in chapter two. He says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Uh, the King James Version says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the way, if you're wanting to be like Christ, this is the way to think. This is the attitude to have. Though he was God, though he had all power and all authority and he could do what he wanted to do and be what he wanted to be, though he was all God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, up, he, instead he gave up his divine privilege and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus, and I believe that God is calling us to do exactly that, I believe there is a call going out to pick up the power of resurrection, the fellowship of suffering. And when we begin to do that, uh, uh, God begins to move and, and the comforter shows up and, and, and hang on because this is what I believe is, is getting ready to happen. When we do what Christ did and he begin and people begin to see how we respond to the suffering that we go through, 
whether it be a physical suffering, an emotional suffering, a mental suffering, a spiritual suffering, whatever that suffering is, as we go through it and we mourn it and the comforter comes, we are now in a position to reveal the fullness of Christ to those that haven't seen God yet. And I believe that God is getting ready to use us as his people in order to understand that we are to be the revealing expression of Christ in this world. And here's what I mean by that is the whole situation that we've had over the last 10 days or so have, has become so politicized. Uh, it's a one side or other side and nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people are talking about Christ's side. And Christ is trying to step into this situation. And Christ is trying to reveal himself to all people at this moment in time. I believe that God is trying to use, not that he has caused it, but that he is trying to use all of the junk that we're dealing with, all of the, the infighting uh, amongst uh, uh, humanity in this hour, in this day, he's trying to express something so that people, somebody somewhere will take this opportunity to grab a hold of the hem of the garment of Christ and begin to embrace him in a way that has never been done before. Because, and I say that not just because I believe God is speaking it, I say that because of history. Every time humanity has gone through something similar to what we're going through right now, Christ has shown up, and on the other side of the suffering is the power of resurrection, and the spirit of resurrection breathes into the fellowship of suffering, and when the resurrection power of Christ shows up, people's lives are changed. There is a reawakening to the things of God. Can I just tell you, watching some of the things that I have seen online of the different groups of people that have gathered and worship sessions have broken out, and, and the power of God has been moved on the corners, and the, and the power of God has been uh, breathed in into areas of our community that did not have the breath of Christ. It's all coming from the connection between the fellowship of suffering and the power of resurrection. And so if we would do what he says us to do at the very beginning of his uh, ministry, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. When we suffer, let's mourn it. Let's, let's weep about it. Let's cry about it. Let's suffer for it. And then let's allow the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, to breathe into us. And when he begins to breathe into us, we exhale the power of God to those that are around us. And it allows us to be a representative of Christ to a hurting world. You see, the opposite of the spirit of mourning which is a quality of Christ, is the spirit of self-centeredness or selfishness. And uh, when we become so self-focused, we lose sight of the fact that God is trying to speak to his creation. All of the people that he has created and called and designed, he's trying to get our, their attention. And he's calling us the church have to be the leaders. We have to step into situations, not in anger, not even though it angers us, not in 
in, in vengeance, even though we want to bring a hammer down. But we need to come into a situation of life with the mind of Christ that says, I am going to love somebody to healing. I am going to comfort somebody to healing. And, uh, and that brings us to Revelation. It's the connection again between the beginning of Christ's ministry and the end of Christ's ministry when he speaks through the Apostle John and he speaks to the church that's in Smyrna and he says this, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I want, I want to stop there just for a second. Remember we talked two weeks ago about the church in Ephesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, and their, their, their poorness, if you will, was that they left their first love and that God was calling them back to repentance. In this church, he says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. In other words, they were poor, yet they were wealthy. And uh, we in America especially, but even around the world, we equate poverty in, in a realm of suffering, if you will. Um, now, would we all like to be filthy rich and not have any problems? Yeah, that'd be nice. But that just doesn't happen. That, that's not the way it was intended. Um, we have to work. We have to suffer. We have to do some things that we just have to do in order to pay the bills. And uh, the problem is, is we have equated somewhere along the line and somehow it's gotten into our thinking that we have equated financial security or wealth, if you will, as being something that is something to strive for. Um, can I tell you that, that well, and it's what spurred the, um, the uh, now I've, I've, I've lost my train of thought. It spurred the, the wealth doctrine, if you will, or, or, or the, um, it, it, the health and wealth. It's what the, the, what the churches in, in some ministries have, uh, have proclaimed that God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be healthy. And if you're not healthy and you're not wealthy, that means you're not doing something right. God didn't intend you to, to intend for you to suffer. He didn't intend for you to be sick. And, and if you haven't been healed, then you just don't have enough faith. And, and it's a name it, claim it. Prosperity gospel is the word I've been looking for for the last five minutes. And, uh, that whole concept of prosperity, their, their mindset or the way that they reveal it is that God wants to give you finance. He wants to give you health and in, in body. And I'm sorry, but that's not found in scripture. The scripture says, they that mourn shall be comforted. And he's, they said to the church in Smyrna, Jesus said, I've seen your poverty, but yet you're rich. I've seen your suffering or your affliction, and yet you're wealthy. And, and so there is something that we have, there's been a disconnect, and that disconnect is the concept of biblical wealth is not financial. The concept of biblical wealth is a mindset, and it's, it's attaining the peace of mind. You see, he said, my peace I give to you. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. And if I've overcome the world, I'll give you peace. You will have 
difficulties. You will suffer. You will struggle. You will have to face some things that you don't like to face. You will have to have discussions that you don't want to have. You will have to have introspection that you don't want to have. You will be blamed, ridiculed, criticized that you're not enjoying, but it's in the midst of all of those things that I will give you peace of mind. And in, in so doing, when you have my peace in the midst of the storm, you will have wealth. And so he says to the church, I know about your suffering and about your poverty, but you're rich. You've got it. Listen, I've been blessed with the things of God because of the peace of God that shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. You see, money does isn't the answer to everything. One of the richest men of all time, his name was Howard Hughes. You can read about him studying him, but he amassed a amount of wealth that is incomprehensible to me. Um, but by the time that his life ended here on this earth, he was absolutely miserable and alone and struggled because he never had the spirit of mourning which went along with his suffering. You see, money is not usually gained just for money's sake. Um, money is oftentimes used by men and women to gain power. In fact, I read this and I kind of agree with it, I think. Having money or riches is the closest thing in man's mind to having or achieving God's omnipotence. It's, the, it's probably the highest experience because when you don't have any concern with finance, when you have enough finance that it doesn't matter what comes your way, you can look, you you take that finance and you learn how to manipulate things you learn how to manipulate people you learn how to you learn how to use it and you basically can alleviate a lot of the things that most of us struggle with just making our bills and and having to 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 put our uh, foot to the plow and, and make sure that we're earning the money to supply the needs for our families and when you don't have that impetus and and even even those that have worked so hard to gather that and to gain that at some point in time it just becomes easy well i don't want to mow the lawn anymore so i'll just pay somebody oh i don't want to i don't want to do it i can just pay them because and so all of a sudden you're controlling your entire situation and the control for power in fact there's a little bit in all of us whether you think it or not, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble tonight, but in every single one of us, there is a thirst for control, and that thirst for control is incompatible with suffering. So having said that, if you try to do things on your own, you try to control the situation. I don't like being out of control. Uh, I, I know that that my family members don't like being out of control because I've had them ride in the car with me and I've seen their response when they can't control the wheel because I'm the one that's driving. I, I understand that that there are times in our lives where we try to control everything and we try to manipulate everything. And if I just put this much away for six months, I'll be able to do this. And if I just get this kind of a vehicle, then I can, do, and we're controlling it. And yet what God is teaching us in 2020 is no matter how much you plan, things get messed up. 
2020 is already the longest year in my life. And uh, it, it's, it's something that's going on even in the midst of, of all of the turmoil. God is trying to speak into somebody's life that no matter how much you try to control it, it's, it's not yours to control. I can't control it. And, uh, but in man, there's a thirst for control. There's a thirst in, in, and so when it says, blessed are they that mourn or your poverty and suffering he has seen, and yet we're rich. What he's really trying to say is if you could ever learn to lose control and turn the reins of your life over to him, you will have to mourn that because we try to hold on to it. We try to control it. Can I just tell you what repentance is? Repentance is saying, I don't really have anything to control. I want you to control it. I'm sorry for trying to make my own decisions. I'm sorry for trying to direct my own life. I have made a mess of it, God, and I apologize. And so now I'm coming to you, and the true spirit of repentance is, I'm not going to walk this direction anymore, the direction that I was trying to control, but I'm going to turn, and I'm going to turn the reins over to you. That's becoming poor, if you will. That's becoming, uh, in the midst of that, there is a suffering to that because every time you lose something, you have to grieve something. Every time you lose a dollar, you're grieving it to a certain extent. You just don't recognize that you're grieving it. Every time you get excited because you're buying something, but in the midst of buying something, you're giving something up. And every time we lose a job, we lose a loved one, we lose this, we, we see what's going on in, in the world to, around us and we're suffering because of all of it. Everything that we do and lose and suffer, it causes us at least a momentary, uh, temporary time where we mourn, where we uh, are troubled by it. And it's in that moment that we release control because mourning is telling us I can't control it. Uh, when my father passed away, uh, which has been eight years ago now, and uh, to watch the man that I grew up admiring and being as big and strong as he was, and he could control a room. He could tr control an atmosphere with his personality. Um, when he walked into a room, you knew something was happening. There was an atmospheric change when he walked in by the very persona of who he was. And those that were blessed to know him would agree with you. You could have everybody sitting in there and you would hear him walk in and his voice would lift and you'd hear it echo through the room. And, and uh, there was just a different feel to the room. To watch pancreatic cancer take that to where he had no control over that, none. But in the midst of all of that loss of control, there was such a beauty of God that came through him. There was such a revealing of the characteristic of God that, that sprang and expressed itself through him and how he operated. And I could name person after person after person. In Spirit of Grace Church, you just remember how uh, Gary and Lil, uh, the founding pastors of our church, Gary and Lil Weisbrod, how they were and how they suffered. And in the midst of all that suffering, there was a beauty about their spirit all the way to the very end of their, their earthly life. There was a beauty of their spirit that was basically saying, listen, the comforter is here. 
mourn the loss, but understand that my suffering is ushering Christ in. You see, um, when the power of resurrection shows up, when God's infinite resource shows up, it is coming in almost like an invasion. It's changing the atmosphere by an exterior or an external touch of God. In other words, when somebody is healed of a sickness, it is the power of God that comes from the external and touches that person and raises that person up. When you are delivered, it is something that comes from the external that this presence of God hits you and something changes. But the fellowship of suffering is even more intimate than that. It is the presence of God going down into the depths of who you are and internally beginning to change you, internally beginning to heal you, internally beginning to uh, deliver you. And then as you begin to speak and as you begin to express yourself in life, you are now expressing the miraculous power of God in a way that is so intimate that is so incredible, that is so powerful. And, and I know this is a rude and crude and very short example of this, but I just mentioned my dad. There were things that my dad did in my life from the external. There was some correction that took place. There was some teaching and leading that took place. And, and I'm thankful for it. And, and it was powerful. And, and I didn't even realize it at the time. All of that was, I mean, it formed me, it framed me, and I, I miss it every day. But then what I've also found, now that I'm quickly approaching the age of 50, is there is some innate things that happened from him that I saw in him that has become a part of the inside of who I am. And as I'm facing different things in my life, what I'm recognizing is that that which was in me, the intimate relationship I had with my father, is now coming out of me. And, and in some ways, we teasingly say, well, you're getting more like your dad every day. Well, thank God. I'm getting more like my dad because I'm starting to act like him. And it's not something that I take because it was something external. It was something that was inbred in me as I suffered like he, as he suffered. And there was an intimacy. You see, when you get close to Christ, you're going to feel the suffering of Christ, the fellowship of suffering. And when you do that, all of a sudden, when it comes on the inside of you, he, he allows the presence of God to come in you. And now you begin to express the power and the presence of God from an intimate interaction on the inside. That's what this world is looking for. The world thinks that they're looking for the divine power of God to come down and just boom, take care of everything. But what they're really wanting or what they're really needing is a group of people that are willing to get so intimate with him in the fellowship of his sufferings so that when you and I talk with them, there's an empathy and a sympathy that connects with their hurt and their wound and if God can do it in us, he can do it in them. And they say, I want that. I want that. I want that. Amen. You see, in, in all things, in, in our desire for control, the two main things that we really want to control is our health and wealth. There is a multi-billion dollar industry to improve health. Because all of them, and it's, it's from the quick pill that you take and it melts the weight away to all of the different exercise programs. I don't know what they are because I don't like any of them because it hurts. And uh, 
And so in all of those things, it's a multi-billion dollar industry because we want to control our health. And then the second multi-billion dollar industry is all of the financial stuff. How can you make this kind of money? How can you have your own business? How can you save for retirement? How can you do this? How can you do that? And, and so that whole concept of controlling health and finance, which are two things that you and I really can't control, so let's just turn it over to him. I can do my best to keep my health right. I can try to make all of the right decisions with my finance, but I cannot control a pandemic. I cannot control a cancer that comes into our body. I can't control the stock market. I can't control even my own IRA because it's tied to the stock market. And so I get, I can get myself all wound up in health and wealth and try to control everything. But God is trying to say to somebody tonight, just let all that stuff go and let me. Let me be the one. Go ahead and let me get intimate with you. You're going to suffer sometimes, but in the midst of your suffering, if you'll mourn it, he'll come along and comfort it. Uh, the psalmist said it this way, and I'm just about done. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119.67. After my affliction, I learned how to obey. Affliction God used. The New Living Translation uses the word discipline instead of affliction. Um, the whole concept of the use of a spanking was about 20 years too late for me because my dad believed in it. Um, and my dad believed in something that a, not a lot of parents may believe in, but he believed in what we called corporal punishment, which meant if one of the three kids did something, all of the three kids got punished. And his rationale was, well, you did it something at some point. And unfortunately for me, and you can ask my siblings, he always started with me. And, 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 and yes, my, I'm trying to get some pity from somebody. But, uh, but I, I said all that to say this. I didn't do some things in high school and in college in, in those years where I was forming habits, not because I wanted to do good. Not because I loved God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I did it because I didn't want to get a spanking. Because they hurt. The affliction of the discipline of my father kept me from doing some things. The suffering of a spanking, as little as that really is, kept me from doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And it, it saved me a lot of trouble that my friends never kept themselves out of. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. There are times in our lives when we have to suffer. And when we suffer, let's mourn. Because when we mourn, the comforter comes. And when the comforter comes, we become intimate with him and we become more like him. I want to close with an illustration about a little lamb and a shepherd. And this lamb was obstinate and stubborn like a lot of us. And he wanted to wander off all the time and leave the flock and put himself in danger. And so the shepherd realized that he could spend his whole time chasing this lamb all over the countryside or he could take matters into his own hand. Well, he took matters into his own hand. And here's what he did. He broke the lamb's leg. 
Now, that sounds harsh, but here's what he did. He broke the lamb's leg, and so everywhere the lamb had to go and wherever the sheep went, the shepherd would put that lamb up on his shoulders and carry him wherever that lamb needed to go. And so by the time that that leg began to heal and that lamb began to go back into the sheepfold, that lamb had um, discovered a relationship with the shepherd that from being carried around the whole time, that when that lamb went back to the sheepfold, that lamb did not stray very far from the shepherd because of the intimate relationship that that shepherd and that sheep began to have because of the broken leg that the shepherd gave it. What I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes uh, God is going to allow some things to be broken. Sometimes he breaks some things in our lives even. Sometimes he has to end some jobs. And sometimes he has to, to change some things within a home. And sometimes he has to do some things not because he's trying to punish us, but because he's trying to bring the spirit of suffering, the spirit of that was in the church in Smyrna, because the Bible says, and I didn't finish reading it in Smyrna, but because of your affliction and your suffering, I will give you the crown of life. You see, the crown of life, what's the crown of life? Well, the crown of life is to be present with Christ. We're going to receive a crown at that point where we have eternal life. And when the Bible says we're going to cast it at his feet and rejoice and worship forever. When we find the suffering, I'd rather suffer now and enjoy later than to enjoy now and to suffer later. And so is God calling us to step through and walk through all of what we have walked through in this suffering, in this heartache, in this brokenness that we sense all across America and all of the cities and everything that's going on. And I know that there's things that are going on in the spirit that's even above and beyond what we're talking about tonight. It's, it's several layers deep, but in the midst of all of it, as you're suffering, as your heart is breaking, just know this, if you'll mourn that, the comforter will come. You see, we have to understand what God is calling us to right now. He is calling us to two things. He is calling us to suffer for Christ. And that's those things that we can't control. That is the things that we experience on no fault of our own. We suffer for him. But then ultimately he's wanting us to suffer with him. That's the spirit of an intercessor. If I can suffer, if I can have the fellowship of suffering, oh God, my heart mourns for our country. My heart mourns for our city. My heart mourns for the people that are around me. Lord, I come before you on their behalf. I'm suffering with them right now, God, because I'm wanting you to draw closer to each one of us. You see, as we suffer with him, we will allow the presence of God to touch us and when we become intimate with him, everything that we touch and speak to, we speak to on behalf of the Lord. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the characteristic of Christ. At no other time in history than at Calvary, Christ suffered so that you and I could be set free. He did it on our behalf. Will you do that with him now? Will you agree with him that, yes, I like the power of resurrection, but God, in the last 10, 12 days, 
really two months through the pandemic and things, I want to just suffer with you so that I am so united with you, so that I am so tied together and intimate with you that every breath I breathe and every word I use and every expression I make is your breath, is your word, is your expression so that I can reveal you to someone else. If that's your prayer tonight, would you reach out to him where you're at? Jesus, I pray right now, God, all across the web and, and in every home, Lord, you're calling us to an intimate level. Lord, it's exciting to see the power of resurrection and the power of deliverance and the power of restoration. Lord, it's harder to get to the spirit or the fellowship of suffering. But God, you have allowed us to walk in this now for a little while, and we haven't maybe even recognized what you're doing. But in the midst of this suffering, God, I believe that seeds that have been planted in people are beginning to break forth. Lord, we talked about it together on Sunday through your word that you're bringing a breakthrough to us. And Lord, I believe all across this world that there is a breaking of the spirit of man so that the spirit of Christ can rise up. Lord, I pray God for each person that is hurting tonight. I pray for each spirit that is broken, each emotion that is overwhelmed. Lord, I pray against the power of the enemy to use it against us. I pray, Lord, that the spirit of vengeance would be removed from our hearts, that the spirit of wrath and hatred would be removed from our hearts, and that the spirit of love and mercy and grace would take its place. Lord Jesus, you looked at the worst of us and said you loved us. You looked at the best of us and said you loved us. Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to look at the worst of us and say Christ loves you. And help us to look at the best of us and say Christ loves you. Help us to be your expression of love and mercy in this world. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together in the unity of your spirit. Bind us together, Lord, in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering so that we can all know who you are. Lord, help us to carry the characteristic of who you are to others. In your precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord, for touching us tonight. And thank you for being with us on Facebook and Zoom. And for those of you that are watching this after and down the road as you're checking it on our podcast in different places, we pray that God would just richly bless you, comfort you, and keep you. And uh, from all around the world that have joined us tonight, thank you for being here. God bless you, and we will see you all on Sunday online as well as live at the House of the Lord. Don't forget to sign up for Spirit of Grace Church members. Text us or email us so that we can have enough seats for everybody. Looking forward to it. May God richly bless you.